0: Welcome to Mint, the podcast exploring the Web3 creator economy. I'm your host, Adam Levy, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be showing you what's happening at the corner where crypto meets creators by interviewing Web3's top creative entrepreneurs, collectors, and founders. This episode is brought to you by the composable and decentralized social graph Lens Protocol, who's ready for you to build on so that you can focus on creating a great experience, not scaling your users. Guys, I've talked about this on the podcast before. We as creators need to break through a new paradigm of social networking apps that we control rather than them controlling us. Lens Protocol isn't a social media app, it's designed to let Web3 social apps bloom. Own your content, own your social graph, own your data. Lens Protocol is the last social media handle you'll ever have to create. This episode welcomes Chase Chapman, a fellow Web3 native podcaster and the host of On the Other Side. Join us as we explore Web3 content creation, reoccurring themes discussed on her podcast, her obsession over DAOs, and how Chase has personally grown since joining her first organization. We also delve into the balancing act of creating content, today's most compelling DAOs, and the future of media, content, and creator DAOs as we know it. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Chase, welcome to Mint. I'm really excited for you to be thank here. You. Um, this is like a pod X pod collab. To <laughs> Mint X on the other side. Big fan of the podcast. So thank you. How does it feel to be on the other side of the mic?
1: It's always really funny. I feel like my brain, um, I've like turn off interviewer brain. I don't know if you feel that way when you're on podcasts, Definitely. but it's like, okay, we're going into, I need to have opinions mode and not like my brain is malleable mode i'm working on trying to find the balance between those and i think there's probably an interesting middle ground um but it's definitely like a different persona
0: so when when people ask you chase who are you and what do you do in crypto what do you tell them
1: oh it's change it depends on who it is and it totally changes based on like how i'm feeling that day if it's someone who is not in crypto at all i usually go like the um the, you know, the internet is sort of uh like autocracy. Um and I believe that like people should basically own and have a say in the value they create. And that's what I'm doing. And so I don't even really mention crypto. I like hone in on that. But if it's someone in crypto, then it's like DAO research kind of, but also the people and cultured web three. Um, it's never a good answer. I'll tell you that. Like it's always confusing and
0: bad. <laughs> well, I I know you as a podcasting extraordinaire and having really <laughs> awesome like media arm that you're you're consistently dedicated to and producing really thoughtful pieces of content and also a professional shit poster. Yet, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I want I want to come up with another sort of word, but I'll leave it at that. But also, like your your tweets and and sort of your beliefs in the world are very thought provoking and have attracted quite a following uh, especially around the dao community um so part of this conversation i want to focus on the theme of season seven which is creating content that's worth collecting but even more so understanding your perspective on the current state of daos airdrops community incentives um and everything in between okay so and part of the reason why i wanted to have you on chase is you are a content creator you you understand the craft of creating content um give or take, you make a living through that. You have sponsors, like you know what it takes to, to to create the hustle around creating content. And part of the theme of season seven is centered around, you know, how can we create content that's worth collecting so that we become less of slaves to the algorithm, right? And creating content for for distribution and more so for a select few. And I know we had a conversation about this privately and I know you have different thoughts as to how you approach the business of content creation. So that's the foundation for the conversation, Kev. I want to ask you, where do you think is a good place to start? I want to start on the DAO side. Mm-hmm. I want to start on the content creation side. I want to start everywhere. <laughs> what feels good? What feels good to you?
1: That's a good question. Um, let's start on the content side. Cause I I have thoughts that I think are a lot less polished and a lot less developed than yours. So, like I, I think actually you've done a much better job at um thinking deeply about content and doing experiments with it. So let's start there. Because I think I have a very um I don't know, unpolished and, and early view of some of that stuff.
0: Well, you're also being very humble because you you <laughs> create content for 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 like a consistent living, right? And you rabbit hole's a sponsor, like I've listened to your stuff. I I've given it five stars, like I'm a fan, you know? Thank so you. when you when you think about the world of like content creation, In the context of Web3, what are some things that come to mind?
1: Yeah, this is so interesting. So like right now, my current thought for the way that I personally approach content is not, does not apply to everyone. So I will say this with like a massive grain of salt. But I've been thinking a lot about how I think some of the best content comes from a place of... Basically like reflection where I think there are some people who can create really amazing content because they're digging deep into like what's on chain and all of that. I think for me personally, the content that I make very much comes from a place of, okay, I'm building in the space. I'm halfway addicted to Twitter. Like I'm in the trenches dealing with all the shit that I talk about on the podcast is things that I see as problems. The same thing happened when I was contributing to DAOs for a year. And I was like, holy shit, there are a lot of problems (laughs) with these organizations. Like, How can we solve them? And so the way that I've always approached content is basically like, how can I get my hands dirty and get in the trenches of the things that I'm interested in and then basically create content where I'm essentially like processing and talking about the challenges and opportunities and all the things that come with whatever it is I'm doing at the time. And so I've always had this view that like I actually don't want to be like a full time content creator because and I think that works for some people who are doing like research where like their hands getting dirty in the trenches is research or who deeply understand culture or who are doing like the experiments that you're doing with men are very much like you're getting your hands dirty. Um, but I, I think I've always been really like grounded in this idea that in order for me at least to make interesting content i need to be doing things in the space that are interesting
0: um i don't know if that resonates with how you it it does it does because what i'm picking up from you is that you have to be an active participant to develop your points of view that you then communicate and discuss openly uh with everybody else that you you have on the podcast and i think my stems like the root of my experimentation comes from my adhd and my add of like not being satisfied by doing something consistently like for example when i wake up in the morning I just bought like commentary coffee, you know, but I've been drinking espresso for the longest time, and I don't always have to change things up. It's still coffee at the end of the day, yeah. But I have to get different versions of it so that I can like be motivated to start my day the same way I kind of imagine it to. So that analogy of of drinking coffee in the morning very much pertains <laughs> to how I approach content as as a creator, and that's that's solely where it stems from. And you brought up a lot of the, the a lot of the conversations that you have. I feel like give or take, not reoccurring, but are underlying themes that on the other mm-hmm. side covers, right? So from your perspective, what are some of the reoccurring themes that you discuss on the podcast? I'd love for you to share.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess like taking a step back and giving some context. Um, I actually just had Gabby Goldberg on the podcast and I think she does a great job articulating some of the things that that I feel really strongly about, which is that I like I grew up on the Internet. I am I think a lot of people think I'm a lot older than I am, which is kind of funny. Um. So I'm 23. And so <laughs> I grew up on the Internet. You know, I had Instagram like in middle school, like all of these experiences that I had um, as a teenager were very like Internet native. And so I think what has always been this like through line throughout my life has been Kind of the intersection of acknowledging that it feels like we are increasingly online. Like it's hard to to say, even in today's state of like I don't know if you want to say post pandemic, but like whatever, we're increasingly online. And also, as human beings with needs and um, who sort of want to live the best lives that we can, I also acknowledge that like in a lot of ways, I think the internet poses like a threat to our well being. Um, And I experienced that all throughout childhood where I was like, I know this isn't that good for me, but I'm using it anyway because my mm-hmm. entire social fabric is sort of supplemented by this. And so ultimately, I think what that led me to and what the podcast really explores is what it looks like for humans to exist on the internet in a way that actually optimizes for human thriving instead of these like weird sort of fucked up platforms. And so like, ultimately, that's also why I ended up in Web3, because I think when you take a deeper look at any of the platforms that we have today, economic incentives are ultimately like underscoring a lot of the reasons that these things are so pernicious. And so for me, um, Web3 is both an opportunity to sort of um, right the wrongs that we've created and also like create new interesting systems and and the podcast i think is very much exploring how we do that because we tend to use that ethos a lot in web 3 like we say yes we're building a new internet it's gonna be better whatever but we also create incredibly uh i keep swearing and i feel bad <laughs> I don't know if you need that. <laughs> do it. but do we it. create a bunch <laughs> of fucked up systems in in replacement of the old systems that were also fucked up and when i say that i mean things like the financialization of everything like i I really think that um, if we're not careful, we're going to create a similar internet that that has different problems, but still problems nonetheless that are like really, again, not optimizing for humans there are going to be problems always. But like how big these problems are and how big of a threat they are, I think is a big thing here. Anyway, all of that is to say, I think the podcast is very much about raising awareness of and exploring those things so that when we say we're building a new internet, we're actually doing that in a way that's better instead of sort of recreating similar issues and and maybe even making them worse.
0: As a twenty-three year old, your point of view is very mature, like incredibly mature. And I I feel like you get that a lot from older people that you speak to. They're always surprised, like you said, by by your age. And mm. you brought how you brought upon how you grew up with Instagram in your hand and your passion for sort of building a better world. And I'm trying to think if if there's a if you can reflect on any moments of you growing up that has developed that maturity and has led to your passion of like wanting Mm. to develop this ambitious vision that you have today
1: well i appreciate that um it's so funny i actually when i was a kid don't know why like 12 years old i guess it's not really kid but um (laughs) i started reading a ton of spirituality and self-help books like not like religious but like Eckhart Tolle and Osho and all these people and I don't know why do you do you have your your stack
0: I have my stack and I'm and I'm and keep going I'm like I just got to pull out the one that sort of like changed my life
1: I'm so curious what it's it's,
0: gonna be and it's so cringy because it's such like a (laughs) well-known book but it it really set the tone for me think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill like that Mm, I
1: haven't read that
0: Think and Grow Rich set the tone for me, and my my eleventh uh, grade teacher in high school, Mr. Papada, he changed my entire world and put me on on my path. You know, and like talk about like a fuse that hasn't been lit, and then you have this guy with a torch. He's like, "I'm about to light <laughs> you up." Like that's literally what happened. And he's like, "In the meantime, as you're burning, take this book with you as your guider. I digress. You were saying, <laughs> I love
1: that. No, I mean it's very similar, and so I think like. In a lot of ways, you know, that um, very much grounded me in this idea of like, I want to, I personally want to live a life that feels like it was worth living. And to me, what that means is finding spaces where I feel really passionate and intellectually excited about the work that I'm doing, and also feeling like I'm creating a space that allows other people to strive for a life that's worth living and I think when I when I became aware of that I noticed the spaces in which I did not feel like I was spending my time in a way that felt fulfilling and like true to who I was and a lot of that was like digital spaces like when I would go on Instagram I don't I didn't leave the app feeling like awesome um or fulfilled and I think that's changed for me a little bit in that like I've made some amazing friends off of Twitter like I've definitely had experiences where I I've seen the beauty of these digital spaces and and I think that's been really interesting to watch but like net overall I think a lot of that drove me to be like okay how can we create spaces that are actually better for for human thriving and and things like that and so I think that was always the grounding force and then I would say the other piece of it is like Because I'm young, I use a lot of research to support um, what I'm thinking and doing, which has helped a lot because then I'm not just like completely ignoring all of the the knowledge that people outside of crypto have created around like, you know, self-governing systems and shareholders and like all of those things.
0: So that's a perfect transition to try to understand where DAOs fit into that picture for you. So my first question around that is like, where does your obsession with DAOs come from? So I can see like a a grain of salt, sort of like uh, a resemblance between how you think as outside of crypto to your interest in crypto. But from your perspective, why the obsession over DAOs?
1: It's funny. Like, I think my answer to this has changed over time. And part of it is because I've learned more and more why they were so interesting to me. When I first got in gri- into crypto it was like 2018 and it was really highly technical you were in the space at the time right yeah yes um very highly technical and i was not technical i am not technical and so i saw this opportunity for what the space could become and i think as much as the values around the space have evolved a lot of them are still really core to this idea around like you know, Bitcoin is a response to a centralized financial system. I think a lot of like Web3 is a response to a centralized set of social platforms and all of that. And so um, I think I always felt like there was this gap between, in theory, what we were doing. and, And I think that was being applied at very technical levels, like Ethereum as a blockchain is decentralized and does have these certain values of credible neutrality and stuff. Two, Okay, what does this look like for humans in these systems and how do we empower humans um, so that the values aren't just baked into the protocol, but they're actually baked into these like layers that we're building on top of it. And so I think DAOs to me were one of the most exciting examples of baking in these values and allowing humans to engage with them, not just like computers or people who are messing with computers to engage with them, um, almost like in this human readable way. And so that is where I think my obsession with DAOs started. And then from there, it became very obvious that there was a lot of room for improvement in DAOs. And that was just like, to me, that that was the the tier like analogy about the torch. That was a torch where I was like, okay, not only is this really exciting, but this is actually a space that is still so nascent and actually needs... A lot of thinking, a lot of research, a lot of consideration to go into making these systems actually work. But there's something here.
0: How have you personally grown ever since mm-hmm. joining your first DAO? Mm-hmm. That's a great question.
1: How have I personally grown? I think that, um, I think that I've grown a lot in trusting my curiosities. Like, I think that, you know, when I first started tweeting and when I first started engaging in DAOs and writing about it, um, I don't think I had, like, the most confidence in my curiosity. I think I was like, I don't know if this is right. Um, Even since starting the podcast, like, I think all of these pieces have consistently taught me that if I'm curious about something other people probably are too and there's probably an interesting seed of something here to to play with um and then I think the second piece is also like there's a really I keep talking about balance I feel like I think everything is a balance at this point that's my current mental model but um I definitely have have had an interesting relationship with balancing doing things independently and collaborating with other people like I think that's one of the biggest question marks in DAOs is like how much do you sort of self-govern, and take it upon yourself to do things versus like rely on people around you. And so I think at like a very um tangible level, that's something that that is also a dance and a balance. And I think I have learned to get a lot better at that going also from like DAO sort of contributions to being on like a team, which is Metropolis, which is doing DAO tooling. Like it's been a very interesting dance between those two things.
0: Mm. What would you say your dance battle looks like? (laughs) Like, like what is your balance? Like, how do you find your balance? I think it's because we're constantly online, right? And you're you're like incredibly ingrained. So when I ask about your dance battle, it's like, how do you find balance between creating content, between your ideology of like being like very forward about everything should be decentralized or the DAO is the way? Like, what does your balance look like?
1: Yeah. Well. From the perspective of content creation and work, I think that's a fun balance. Um, I've, I've more recently started to think about content creation as work, not in the sense of like, it feels not fun, more in the sense of like, I think that when I get really excited about things, I'll spend endless time on those things. And I will also immerse myself so deeply in it that I don't, you know, take care of other things that I need to take care of, to the point about like making sure that I have my friends outside of crypto. Like all of those things to me are part of that balance. Um, and so I've started to look at all of these things more like opportunities that I get to play with in my work life and acknowledging that like these things are mental work. And I think like as a side note, in the bull market, it's very easy to to go so deep and just completely forget about all these things. I think in a bear market, it's important, partially just because like there's less craziness, but also because like I think if you don't pace yourself and acknowledge that these things are work and they do take like intellectual labor, you will run out of energy like fully. Um, and so my current thing has been very much like nurturing this idea around okay. These things are, are work and I'm showing up to them. Even if some days I'm like, I don't feel like doing a little bit of writing on this, doing it anyway, acknowledging that like nurturing that seed of curiosity, I think is, is the key to sustaining um, excitement and ideas and, and passion around a lot of this stuff.
0: What's up, guys? Sorry for the quick pause, but I wanted to tell you about Bellow. A new blockchain analytics tool I built that helps Web3 native creators and communities learn more about their collectors and their on-chain behavior. Through a simple search, Bellows Intelligence can help you figure out a price for your NFT drop, show you what other communities your collectors are a part of, and empower you with insights to make confident decisions on how to grow your community. I built Bello with you in mind. So as a creator myself, Bello's helped me make money by finding sponsors for the podcast and allowed me to curate better content for you guys. And now it's ready to help other creators too. If you're a Web3 native creator, NFT project founder, or community manager, join the waitlist to try Bello's beta product today by signing up at bello.lol forward slash join. That's B-E-L-L-O dot L-O-L forward slash join. All right, back to the episode. I got burnt out in the in the bull market, like genuinely burnt out. I remember at the height of the of the or like pre height of the bull market and i and I referenced the bull market as like the nFt bull market. I had mm-hmm. just recently quit my job and I was like, all right, I gotta figure something out like I have offers from other companies, but I'm not down to do any of that. um let's start a podcast and literally was like was at it, creating content throughout the entire bear market had ideas that tried I I raised money for that burnt me out like and I learned so much and now that we're in the bear market I can like you know like breathe for a mm-hmm. minute I can I can be like a hawk over the Grand Canyon and just kind of mm-hmm. like roam and cruise and see what's yeah. going on up below me and be very thoughtful about my actions you know while also not discounting that you still need to like still need to be quick with stuff so your concept of uh, of of burning out is very real for me and I think part of it was also like the, the engagement in trying to be involved with different DAOs. DAOs were very hot, mm. very, very hot concept. People were pushing out that they're no longer working for cash. They're only working for DAO tokens. We are only DAOists now. All these new <laughs> organizations came out, you know, and trying to be in all these discords, vote on stuff. That also got very overwhelming. And I think that also introduced the concept of discord fatigue. So a lot yeah. of my rant over here year kind of transitions to my next question for you, Chase. DAOs were hot. And DAOs are still a thing, obviously, but are they as hot as they used to be? And if so, what are some of the more like compelling use cases we've mm. seen today?
1: Mm. Are DAOs as hot as they used to be? I mean, definitely not. Like Crypto loves narrative shifts, and I think something that I've always believed to be true is that, yes, DAOs are hot now. This was, you know, a year and a half, whatever, ago. They will not stay this way, mostly because we don't actually know what works yet. And I think that is now coming true today, where basically what's happening is, like, DAOs, in the early stages, um, everyone was sharing all their experiments, and we had no actual way of knowing if those things worked, which made it really exciting, because we were like, ooh, everyone's you know, index is doing this and -and so-and-so is doing this and we can borrow this. A year later, you learn, okay, this model actually totally didn't work for X, Y, and Z reasons. These people are struggling to make revenue, whatever. And so the natural conclusion is like, "Mm, those don't really work if you're reading very surface level. Reality is like all of the models that we're testing. We're basically getting results now, knowing okay, this model doesn't work, but this model does work, and this model is actually promising. But we need to switch it in this way. And so I think the reason the DAOs are not as hot anymore is one, it was like a lot of um, you know hype and excitement around stuff that we didn't actually have an idea of whether or not it worked longer term yet, and two, um, we're now at the stage where we're doing the hard work of figuring out okay, what's next. And that's not the most exciting narrative to people. I get it. That's all good. Um, I think these like crypto narrative cycles go in and out. And I'm sure in a couple of years, when we have a lot more figured out, it's gonna be like, oh, amazing DAOs are are wonderful. I think broadly speaking, um, the way that I've always seen DAOs in the in the space is a lot of the core infrastructure that we're building needs to be governed in a distributed fashion um whether you think that's full decentralization or like heavy on representative um sort of democracy and delegation like doesn't really matter i don't really care how people cut it but ultimately like to me most of the things that we're building are going to end up being DAOs if you want them to be governed in a distributed way and so i think um to that point like a lot of this stuff is really infrastructure um, that is ultimately gonna end up evolving over time. And and I think ideally the next time like DAOs end up in this like big crypto narrative, it's not actually DAOs. Ideally, it's like a specific type of DAO in the same way that like PFPs where a specific type of NFT or music NFTs or podcast NFTs are coming up. Like I think we need more specialization and specific cases of implementation. And I think that will probably be the next big run. And then you asked another question, but I don't remember what it was because I just went deep on that little tangent.
0: <laughs> well, well, it was it was around more of like the compelling use cases um, mm, that we're seeing yeah. today, and I and I think w- one that everybody loves to bring up is Nouns DAO, um, as like a core example that yeah, seems to be working. People like to flex the amount of ETH that they have. You know, I've heard mm-hmm. you say that publicly on the podcast before. <laughs> You know, so I think that's a that's a compelling use case for for the wealthy bunch. but what yeah. about like other use cases that come to mind that we've seen uh, some some like quality adoption around?
1: yeah, well, i have to I have to set the record straight also because <laughs> I talk so much shit about nouns, but I only do it because I think that nouns is wonderful, and I love it as a model. I think generating revenue is massive. I think people rely too heavily on nouns as a single model in the exact same way that I was saying we tested all these things and we didn't know the results of it. Yes, nouns is like actually not super new. um, But like in the grand scheme of things, we still haven't seen um, people who are able to recreate the success of nouns at the scale even close to nouns. And so um, I... I'm excited about nouns and I am weary of it being applied in over applied, basically. But yes, I think nouns is really exciting. Um, I'm also like fascinated by and think it's really promising that there are so many DeFi DAOs that like, despite their challenges, work and have worked for years. Mm. Um, I think of like the Makers, even like Compound, Ave. Yes, they have teams in some cases that are centralized and sort of um, engaged with or building the next version of the DAO. But I think that there's something to be said for the fact that like we've created relatively stable protocols with specialized organizations plugging in, for example, Gauntlet plugging into like an Aave um, for specifically like risk mitigation stuff. Like that, I think we don't celebrate enough. And, you know, I think a lot of like crypto OGs over the last cycle um, sort of pointed to them and was like, no, these are the real DAOs. And and I think that there's a time to double down on what we have and what works and a time to experiment and try new things. And um, I'm definitely at the moment in time where I'm like, okay, let's pause. What do we know works? And, and we do know that that works. We know that governing, um, you know, smart contract parameters and, and being able to take stable systems and democratizing them actually is an effective way to take these like digital sort of public goods and, and make sure that they're treated in a way that the people who are using them and and token holders and things actually have a say in them. Um, so that's exciting. And I think that's probably the most boring answer I could give, but, but I do think it's true. And I think we don't give them enough credit.
0: So on that topic of, of, Kind of uncovering uh, successful DAOs. I want to pose a question to you: How do you feel about media DAOs and like mm. content content DAOs, creator DAOs? What is yeah. what is your perspective with that?
1: So i I would position this in my head at least as there are two different types of DAOs. So one type of DAO is governing value. I would think about like DeFi DAOs. Is this? I would say, nouns to a lot of degrees is this. They're taking something that they basically want to be stable and safe, and they're governing it. The other kind of DAO, which often plugs into these types of organizations, by the way, is um, something that's creating value. Um, and and you can argue that like governing is creating value and all that stuff. But when I say creating value... I mean, um, something like a creator DAO, I even think something like a gauntlet is creating value, they're creating risk models, they're then applying those risk models. Um, to me, I think that the promise there is around co owning what it is that's created. I think that's really exciting. Um, I think my uh, engagement with something like that has been relatively low but this comes back to this question of independently versus collaboratively doing work together um and so i think at like a very tangible level there's something really exciting about being able to collaborate on something and and co-own something um and then i would say at a higher level there's definitely something that's fascinating about um you know 10 years down the line having like Creator DAOs, which really look like, and and I credit Gabby Goldberg when when she came on the podcast for making me think this way. But like, you know, TikTok comments as governance is like a very interesting way to think about it, where it goes from co creation of individuals to co creation of a creator with an audience or a community or whatever. And maybe we're already there today. I mean, I think you know more about this than I do, probably. Um, but that's kind of how I think about it.
0: So that's a great analogy. Like TikTok comments are definitely a form of governance. So it makes you think whether or not all these additional stacks of layers for tooling and infra are even necessary to build these DAOs when if enough people contribute their voice, they could sway the direction without signing their MetaMask. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you ever think about that? Am I wrong to think that? What are your thoughts?
1: I think that when I think about what Web3 actually provides in that context, it's sort of two things. So the first is um, some level of like executable power, which nouns does, you know, for example, like you could see creators leveraging a nouns type model where you're actually putting like money in a treasury and then that treasury gets deployed. Something like that at a very like high level executable power, I think is helpful. But I think the thing that's actually more helpful is this idea around sovereignty outside of platforms, right? So like, you know, there is power in your audience not being trapped within TikTok. Um, and I think that's probably the bigger piece around Web3 more broadly. And then governance plugs into that, like all these things plug into that, Um but I, I think even when I'm when I'm thinking about the way that I feel about a creator on Twitter, like generally speaking, when Elon first did his Twitter bullshit, I was like, this is a little bit spooky, and I'm not loving what's going on. Then I was like, this is fine, and now I'm back to like mm, Twitter's breaking all the time. This is like not <laughs> optimal. He's always on my timeline. Like, why is yeah? That, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think like you've done a really great job, sort of intentionally building your community, I think, outside of a platform, um, which I think is genius. And and if I was more intentional about my podcast, I would 100% be doing that. Um, but I think that's actually one of the bigger benefits around what it means to have like a creator DAO is just that like DAOs shouldn't be limited to or uh, trapped on any individual platform. Um, and optimally, that becomes the experience that then you create for a community. And so it doesn't really matter what platform you're on. Um, You're able to sort of port over those conversations and relationships and stuff outside of, you know, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it is.
0: My bet is that your community of collectors will outpace your community of followers over Mm. time. Mm. And and the reason being is because when you build a collector, that collector is interoperable. You can build an audience on sound, on Zora, on Lens, on Manifold, on all these platforms that empower creators. And with a tweet or with an email, I can shift their attention to come with me to that platform. Right. Totally. So if you look at 2018, when TikTok was on the rise, a lot of the infamous Instagram creators that were sort of like, uh, I guess, legacy into their system that everybody you loved and adored, now it became less relevant because mm. now there was a wave of TikTok creators. And they built viral audiences with, with better distribution and uh, more power, essentially, and more brand more brand revenue being attributed to them than the Instagram creators, flat out, right? So my bet is that the next wave of the creator economy is going to empower your community of collectors over your community of followers. Because mm-hmm. then you you own that audience. Wherever you go, your community of collectors follow. Whereas what you just, just said right now, right now we're building followings and we're publishing on platforms that are gated silos, right? And it's very difficult for a creator to basically transfer their audience from one platform to another, and then they become slaves to the algorithms, and then they yeah. get burnt out by by consistently uh, publishing and trying to feed into the distribution algorithms. You know, so whereas as, as a community of collectors, like you don't need all twenty thousand of your collectors to collect something at the spot. Like you could get one percent of them to do that, and you yeah. can still make a living out of your creative endeavors. So I'm at the situation where my community of collectors have already outpaced my community of followers and Mm. from building on Lens, from doing free NFTs, doing paid NFTs, and it's a consistent experiment. I don't know if it's going to pan out the right way, but I'm already seeing how this value could look like long term.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I am incredibly curious to see how this changes both creator behavior and distribution. So- I also, I keep shouting out Gabby because we just had this conversation, but it's also so relevant to this one. Something I think about a lot that we talked about on that episode is distribution not being centralized really changes the game for what that might even look like. Because in general, yes, like even if collectors outpace followers, you still need a discovery mechanism. And so... I think the, like, sort of, I always, I like to call it physics because that's, like, it's, like, the rules of these digital spaces and how they sort of exist. The, the physics around discoverability in these spaces when you don't have centralized distribution I think is going to be fascinating to watch. And then I also think what it's going to start to potentially do is if you kind of think about, like, um, human, human, I think that, like, creators are basically relationship. Um, I don't even know what the right word is. Like if you think about parasocial relationships, even if you don't go that far, I think a lot of at least my relationship with creators is basically like they're a friend, right? Like that's how I engage with them and that's how I see them. And so consistency and these other things actually still matter a lot. I think algorithms that we use for distribution today um, sort of encode those specific things that we know to be true about human nature. We know that in order for it, users to enjoy certain creators, you want that consistent relationship. We know that in order for um, creators to get that attention, they also need to create content that's like relatively different, whatever. If you strip that that layer away, I'm very curious to see what still remains as these like fundamental, just human raw things that we want in a relationship with a creator. Um, and I don't know if you have like an opinion on what some of those things might be, yeah. but- I think it's going to be fascinating.
0: I, What you're alluding to is essentially email, because if you can own your audience and own your distribution, then you are the platform, 100%, yeah. you know, and you no longer need to build your audience on the accompanying platforms. I have a newsletter. I have my audio, uh, my audio networks. My YouTube is slacking, but whatever, <laughs> we're building or building it, and then I experiment with free and paid NFTs. Mm. And... Over time, I've been able to build a community of collectors whose emails are also attributed to to their wallet address, right? It was all opt-in, right? So now anytime I have an announcement or I want to distribute something that also has the call to action of collecting something, I'm able to do so accordingly. And I may be an outlier with that, but I think if platforms build tools that allow creators not only to own their audience via minting stuff but also find ways to own their distribution as well, then you've completely changed the game. 100 percent
1: mm. Yeah. Because right because
0: yeah. right now we're still dependent on the on the like majestic algorithms of TikTok. You <laughs> know, and, and how they distribute content and how they create literally an influencer out of almost anyone, you know? Yeah. Now it makes you think like with higher quality, like with higher quantity of influencers, like what's the quality in that? You know, like mm-hmm. you often see people with like a million followers on TikTok not getting shit engagement, you know, for a video that they post. So there's many factors that contribute to that. But my bet, again, as creators discover crypto, as creators discover NFTs, Web3, all these, all these primitive styles, whatever it may be, over time, their community of collectors will outpace their community of followers because they're just going to see it. from a data perspective, from a, from a monetization perspective, from a communication perspective. I think there's more power of being able to integrate your audience in Web3 than there is in Web2. Mm. Maybe bias, but that's sort of like the the (laughs) sugar that I've slightly tasted a little bit. Yeah. And I can see how that kind of like transforms big picture.
1: Yeah. It's interesting too because it's like, is it, I think being a creator today, yes, is like there's work involved, but I would assume that you're doing on average like more because it's your responsibility then if you're owning the platform to some degree. Um, and maybe there are just tools that come in and help make that easier. But like, I think a lot of this stuff is also a matter of, you know, how much time and energy are you ready to put into, um, building your distribution outside of certain platforms, which is basically an investment at the end of the day. Um, but it's an upfront investment for a much longer term benefit. And obviously humans love, humans love short-term gratification over a long-term investment.
0: Definitely. I think it's also a good transition into sort of like some quick action questions. Chase, Mm. yay or nay podcast NFTs?
1: I think yay. I think there's a long way to go. And I'm glad (laughs) that you are experimenting with them. Um, You and a few other like rehash. I think like getting to the point where, you know, some of the biggest podcast, maybe some of the biggest podcasts don't need to be doing it but I'm excited to see more experimentation around audiences outside of crypto.
0: Yay or nay, uh, content NFTs in general. So podcasts is like a sub niche. Like, do you think every form of content, every form of media should be tokenized? Yay or nay?
1: I'm going to have to plead the fifth on this one. I don't, <laughs> it's not, it's actually, it's not even pleading the fifth. I have, <laughs> I have flipped and flopped on this about a zillion times. Um, I think that I think that it's hard to imagine a world in which we just kind of slap ownership onto our existing content mechanisms. I think that every piece of content being something that's like owned or memorialized on chain might not make sense, um, from like a first principles perspective. But I also feel like if I had, you know, made any predictions about the Internet in like 20 years ago, I would have sounded really stupid now and would have been totally wrong. So it's hard to say.
0: Okay, I'll take it. Yay or nay, DAOs being here five to 10 years from now. Big yay. Big yay. Okay. Yeah. Yay or nay on the U.S. government transforming into a DAO. Once mm-hmm. our generation goes into office,
1: mm. I'm gonna say nay because I I I don't agree with everything that Balaji talks about in his notion of a network state, but I do think that network states are much more promising and um, much better off as like digitally native.
0: Yay yeah or nay on Web3. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I said nay.
0: I, Just, I think it's all down. Just troll everyone. <laughs> Chase, this has been an epic conversation. I love your thoughts. I love your perspective on how you're cruising through crypto. Um, before I let you go, where can we find you? Where can we learn more? Where can we stay in touch? Chill it away.
1: Well, this was so fun. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I need to have you on my podcast. We have to do a true
0: cross. i I'm gay. I'm game.
1: Um you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. So it's just Chase Chapman, but with an R in the middle. I'm also really trying to write more, which I keep saying, but if I say it publicly enough, I will do it. Okay. Um I've been right. getting in my little writing practice every day, so now I just have to publish stuff. So um I'm chase.mirror.xyz. And then my podcast is called On the Other Side, and it's on all of the the platforms.
0: Let's go. Go check it out. Great podcast. Definitely delivers a different perspective on, on crypto. Chase, we'll have to do this again soon, but till next time, thank you.
1: Thank you.
0: What's up, guys? Thank you for listening. If you've gotten this far, then you are a champ and I owe you a free listener pin. Go to adamlevy.io forward slash NFT for Fill in your info, and I'll distribute the NFT towards the end of the season. By collecting your pin, you prove your contribution to the season and get exclusive access to content, allow lists, and more. So be sure to collect yours.